Welcome to the Digital Workplace Deep Dive. I'm your host, Weston Morris. You know, this session is a little different from every other episode of the Digital Workplace Deep Dive. You might say it's kind of a podcast within a podcast. My guest is Neil Miller. He's the creator and host of two fabulous podcasts, the Digital Workplace, and prior to that, Work Minus. So I'm preparing for this episode. I've given Neil a challenge. I've asked him to pick the top five episodes and extract the gems, the lessons learned, the aha moments from those five, and uh, we'll share them with you, the listeners of my podcast, The Digital Workplace Deep Dive. Neil, I am absolutely thrilled to have you as a guest today. Welcome. Thank you very much, Weston. It was fun to kind of think back and look. You know, like I said, we've done 200 episodes total between the two podcasts. And like you said, we started off with Work Minus, just trying to get an idea of, okay, what are people thinking about? What are they moving forward? And then as the pandemic set in was when we started to rebrand as the digital workplace, really seeing our, our role as to expose people to new ideas about how to rebuild work for the digital age. Now, one of the cool things you do with your guests, as I've heard you in several of your podcasts, Neil, is you give them a CAPTCHA test to verify that they are indeed a human and, and not a bot. So I thought I'd turn things around on you as a guest here on my podcast and give you a CAPTCHA test. You ready? Great. Okay. I know you've done some travel, something that's a bit impossible lately. What's one place that you've been to that you just can't wait to visit again once travel restrictions allow it? Hmm. That is a good one. I Most of the travel that I did in, in the early part of my career was in like South Asia. Uh, of all the places I visited around there, I would say like Nepal was my favorite place to go to. And we, we was just there with my wife for about a week and it was a different world. You know, you're up in the mountains, but there's a lot of history there. The The city of Kathmandu is is so ancient, but but feels so accessible too. And just, a, just a beautiful place. So yeah, as, as a tourist, that was probably one of my favorite places to visit. Well, travel is not the only big change over the last year. We've really had to think a lot more about how to communicate better, especially when some or even maybe all of our audience is remote. And that's where I'd like to start our discussion today, Neil. I know in April of this year, you interviewed Nancy Duarte. She's the author of several books on how to give compelling presentations, including one that I think a lot of us have paid attention to, Slideology. Clearly, great presentation skills have always been important, but now with so many of our presentations being done remotely, you know, through a camera, streaming. I mean, what did you learn in your interview with Nancy Duarte that can help us really engage with a remote audience who you might not even be able to see? Yeah, well, first, interviewing Nancy was just like a, a dream. I, I read her book, Slideology, uh, when I was early in my career. So it was like interviewing a hero for me when I did that. But the, the context of the, of the conversation just gave me even more respect for her, particularly because of how she is able to see the bigger picture. It's not just about, hey, I got my slides done, they look cool, and I'm ready to deliver them. Now you have to think about, okay, one, who's in the room and who's not in the room, um, because a lot of times we're giving these hybrid presentations or hybrid meetings. Um, so you have to think about the visual experience of everybody that's there. Are they going to see just what's on their screen? Are they going to see other things that are around you as well? I like the point she made about that you have to kind of read the moment, not just the room, but like, what do people need right now? Do they need something that's very intimate? One thing we talk about with the digital workplace is just how many tools there are and how many formats there are. 
And so as a communicator, you have to really zero in on which ones are going to be best for that situation. And there's not just one option. So as a leader, as a communicator, you have a harder job now to figure out what that is, what you need to do, what style is going to fit what situation. And I like the fact that she addressed that complexity and we're going to need people like her to help us figure those things out in the future. Now, I recall that Nancy was uh, telling you that the people who understand how to collaborate and communicate remotely through technology, through sincerity, and within a culture are the ones who are going to win. So what did she mean by that trifecta, communicating through technology, through sincerity, and within a culture? I think what she's talking about is that nuance and that complexity and that next level difficulty of what communication looks like in a digital world. Like you're going to be in in front of a a webcam or you're going to have somebody that's not in the room. So technology is going to be a part of everything. So you need to understand what tools you're using, what people are going to be experiencing. Do people, can they connect with you? Because I think we're all sick of webinars by this point because webinars feel insincere in a lot of ways. PowerPoints were horrible for, you know, 10 years or so. And still are in a lot of ways. And webinars are kind of the same place where it's like webinars just felt so dry and drag in in a lot of ways because it wasn't just the slides, it was the slides plus the way you were communicating, plus the way you were trying to engage the audience. So that kind of sincerity, I think people pick up on and, and we need to elevate our game there. And the last thing she said was within a culture, which means you're kind of reading the tone, the zeitgeist, like the feel of your team at that moment. Like, do they need encouragement right now? Do they need to feel safe right now? Do they need to feel energized right now? Like understanding what the need is. And again, it's just, it's really complicated to be able to mix all three of those things and find the perfect blend. And it's going to require more from communicators and collaborators in the future. You know, Neil, what you said at the end there, I really like, I mean, most of the time we think about improving communications externally, right? You know, we're selling, we're communicating outside of the company, but you said, communicating to your team. I mean, that's one thing that's going to be even more important, I think, in a hybrid office. It's not just the technology of communication and collaboration, you know, what we've been setting up over the last several months, but really the technique of communicating effectively. Yeah. And I think another important point is the the element of time that becomes so important. It used to be like we went to the meeting to, to look at the slides, but now it's like, well, you could have given me those slides ahead of time and I could have seen them and we could have used this meeting time to discuss things and recognize that maybe this 30 minutes that we reserved, we can really get into rich conversations. But instead, you didn't think through that. And now you're making me read the slides that you're reading on this digital platform for 20 minutes and have left very little time for discussion. So I think that's an important part too, to, to recognize that we need to respect people's times and giving a presentation is probably not the best thing. Well, you mentioned time here, Neil. I think a lot of people connect that with productivity. It's really a very hot topic right now as businesses are reinventing the modern workplace. I'm thinking of another one of your guests, uh, Gloria Mark, a professor at the University of California, Irvine. She talked about something that kills productivity in one of your episodes, distractions, and interruptions. Now, I've always thought of interruptions as being external, but Gloria explained that we can have both external and internal interruptions. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? What did she mean by that? We think about external distractions, like when you're on your phone, you get notifications that come in or you're on your laptop and you see those things. So the external notifications mean somebody else is coming and pulling you away from what you were focused on. 
But uh, same with you, like I didn't really understand the pull of and power of internal distractions until talking with her. So internal distractions means, hey, I have 30 minutes set aside to do this task. I've set a timer. I know exactly why I need to do this. I know what's important. And five minutes into it, I'm on a new site or I'm on YouTube or I'm looking at something else. It's helpful to know that like distractions are not just somebody else's fault or problem. Like they're, they also come from within and we have to be able to, to handle those and deal with those because as soon as they come up with her big thing is how long it takes to recover from those distractions, whether they're external or internal. I mean, I think her numbers, like at like 12 minutes, it takes to really get back in the zone where you were before. Now, I, I may have read your interaction wrong with uh, Gloria in that episode, uh, Neil, but I, I think <laughs> Gloria may have surprised you a little bit when she said that not all distractions and interruptions are bad. I, I know it caught me up by surprise when she said that. I mean, she said that some interruptions actually improve productivity. Uh, can you explain that? Yeah, absolutely. And you didn't read it wrong. We think about a hey, distractions equals bad. Therefore, I need to be as focused and as possible. Therefore, like working from home is great because I can just be here and no one's going to distract me. But she brought up the point, like a lot of distractions are very helpful and good. If you would be like, you're working on something and somebody comes over, says, hey, do you have a minute? I need your thought on this. And that discussion sparks something in your head that actually helps you with the problem you were working on. Or there's just the distraction of like needing a break and deciding that, yeah, actually I'm going to go get a snack or I am going to go for a walk right now because I'm getting those internal triggers and I needed that space to come back. And this is one reason why a lot of people are anxious to get back to the office because they feel like those random, unplanned, spontaneous distractions as a part of work are kind of why we're in office in the first place and recognizing that there's, there's a lot of truth to that. There's a purely remote distributed environment. You don't have as much collaboration. You don't have as much opportunity for spontaneity unless you build it back in and it's hard to build back in. So yeah, recognizing those things was something she really helped me understand. One of the things I also remember from that interview that you did, Neil, with Gloria is she was explaining to you about a, a company who decided they were going to eliminate you know, all unnecessary distractions. They actually bought a piece of software that would prevent what you could access at certain times and kind of turned off alerts. And it surprised me because she says that actually worked very well for some of the employees. And that would be people who maybe didn't have a lot of self-discipline. And, and so the interruptions, having turned those off was good for them, but it actually turned out to be a very bad thing for those who were self-disciplined. And that was surprising to me. I'm a big fan in general of saying, if you adopt a new software or technology, like make sure notifications are off by default. Like people should not be forced to deal with notifications they didn't ask for. But some people really need that and some people really like that. And so making these one size fits all decisions is not going to be the norm in the future. Well, let's build a little bit more on this idea of digital distractions that may be coming in our technology. So many of our communication and collaboration tools are all about alerts and being able to reach you at any time. In another one of your episodes, you interviewed David Heinemeyer Hansen. He's the co-founder and CTO of Basecamp. So a lot of our listeners may know that as a SaaS application that helps people organize projects, especially using a remote workforce. And David said something about Basecamp software when I was listening to that episode, it made me stop and rewind the recording at least twice. I think I was mowing the lawn or something, and I just had to stop and play it again. Did I hear this right? Because David told you that app stickiness is a bad thing, a terrible thing. And that just goes in the, you know, the face of reason. Everybody designs their apps to be sticky, right? The more time you spend in it, the more money they make. 
But I mean, this just sounds insane. What did he mean by this? That app stickiness is a bad thing. I think what he's, what he's talking about there is, is the idea that a lot of consumer apps you're looking at like Facebook, I mean, Google itself, LinkedIn, like all these kind of social network type things, like they really do make their money by keeping you on that platform as long as possible and making sure that, that you're there. What DHH is doing is he's trying to step back and saying, well, is that actually good? Like, is it good for somebody to be on a single platform all day long? And do they, do they want to be there? By saying he doesn't like stickiness, I think is a good thing to pursue to say like, yeah, if you can get into this platform, get your work done, get off it and go do something else, then that, that's a great thing. So far, we've talked about the human side of effective collaboration and productivity. We've talked about the technology side of things and communicating collaboration. I think we'd be remiss, Neil, if we didn't talk about the role that great leadership plays in a workplace where people just get things done. I'm thinking about your episode with Jonathan and Melissa Nightingale. They're the founders of the Raw Signal Group. They boldly claim they build better bosses. Now, when you interviewed them, it was for an episode entitled Work Minus Mind Reading. So I'm trying to make the connection here between mind reading and leadership. I mean, why did you pick this topic of mind reading? Uh, I'm pretty sure they came with that topic. Um, a lot of times in those early days, I said, hey, the show is called Work Minus Something. What is the something for you? And so they said mind reading. The mind reading element is this attitude, like everybody knows what we're doing. So let's just all plow through and get this done as fast as possible. And we're all running at hundred miles an hour and we, we understand what's going on. For them to remove that mind reading is to understand like one, not everyone can have the full picture of what's going on in the organization all the time. Some people say like, I want everyone to think like they're the owner of this business, but we don't treat them like that. We don't educate them like that. Maybe we're not as transparent about all the things that an owner should know. So recognizing that you can't just expect someone to act like an owner if you don't treat them that way. And should they even in the first place to recognize like, yeah, you, you should have stated, written some kind of an objective that you have out there that helps people understand the context of why they're doing that work to help them know exactly what you expect of them, to help them know exactly where they, they see themselves and where they fit into the whole machinery of, of the company and where that comes in. Well, let's talk about another aspect of great leadership that came up in that episode, and that is the idea of developing culture. I mean, what did Jonathan and Melissa Nightingale share with you about how leaders need to be thinking differently about cultivating culture in an office, especially how that might be different post-pandemic versus pre-pandemic? So culture just springs out of the earth when you just put people together because they develop habits. They talk to each other. They have lunch together. They develop these routines and know there's things about people. And so that, that just kind of happens. Alignment in general becomes mostly instant because if everyone's together, you kind of all, you see where people are going. Collaboration is pretty, you know, automatic because anyone you want is right there in that bay, that room that you're in. And I think this challenge, we, we felt a lot during the pandemic, but it was also felt as companies grow and scale. Like you, you don't get that same thing as you grow if you're not intentional with it. You can still have culture. You can still have great collaboration. You can still have great alignment, but you need to be much more intentional about it in digital spaces and as you scale and as you grow through things. So I think that's been a challenge that many leaders have had to reckon with to figure out, oh, we got to get back to the office because that's where our culture is. It's like, well, that's just where it happened to grow in that one space because you didn't do anything and it just happened on its own. But you actually maybe need to put in some work to figure out how you can create that in other ways. Well, Neil, I think we have time for one more of your episodes. I, I tell you, I was really impressed with your conversation with author Laron Barton. 
about diversity. I mean, it seems that, you know, senior leaders in every company are really focusing on diversity. But Laurent talked about some very common sense, practical things that the rank and file employee can actually be thinking about that probably will make more of a difference than anything senior leaders can do driving down from the top in creating a culture where a person feels you know, truly welcome despite their nationality, their race, gender, age, language. And the first thing that LeBron talked about was the pressure that a minority may feel to engage in code switching. Now, I had not heard of that term before listening to your podcast. So can you explain what was LeBron talking about when he described this code switching? Yeah, as a, as a cisgendered white man, I'll do my best to explain what that means. But it, it's basically like, especially in, in the United States, like I, I can walk into almost any company and feel very comfortable, feel very much like I can say what I always say. I'm not going to change anything about myself. Whereas somebody who has a different gender, has a different race, has a different orientation in, in lots of different ways, will have to recognize that, oh, now I'm in this person's world and they rule this world. And therefore, I need to change some of my behavior because if I act like this, like I do at my house, then they're going to question that, or there's going to be something strange about that. Or if, if a woman comes in and starts acting very, we say, oh, well, she's a strong woman. We don't use that word with men. We don't say, oh, well, that guy's a really strong man, like unless you're talking about strength. And people who, who come from historically oppressed groups like feel that. And they know that, okay, I'm walking into this boardroom. Therefore, I need to change the way I talk. I need to change the way I dress. I need to change the way I'm, I'm going to interact with different people to make sure it matches with them. And that conversation for me with Laron, again, this is early in my my journey. I asked a question about like, you know, we're, we're all kind of well-meaning white folks here that are trying our best to understand this. And he really challenged that and said, "Is it really well-meaning?" I get the fact that you don't think that you're you're doing any damage. You don't think that you are, are harming other people, but you, you're also like not doing anything to to counteract that and to push against that. So that that was the first time I had someone like directly speak to me and challenge some of those assumptions. And that really led me on, on a great journey. And I really appreciate that conversation with Laurent. That reminds me of another one of your guests uh, recently, Robin Rosenberg. She was explaining how she was using technology, virtual reality, augmented reality to help people to feel what it's like to be someone else, to you know really be in their shoes, so to speak, to experience, for example, prejudice that might be either overt or even subtle that somebody else might feel. And I tell you, using virtual reality sounds like an interesting way to to help someone develop this empathy for other people. So that might be the first step, understanding what it's like for someone else with empathy. But there was a second thing that LeBron asked us to do, and that is to be an advocate when the other person is not in the room. I mean, what did you take away from that? I think that that was a really great call to action, I would say. This is not just about your PR stuff that goes through. This is not just about having your DEI committee that's in there. It's about when it's just white dudes in the room, what are you talking about? And when somebody says something that is either off color or it's something that could be taken the wrong way, or if it's like not something you would say if Laurent was in that room, then it's, it's really calling that out. It's not just about doing it in public when other people see it. It's about doing it in private when no one sees it. And it's just you and your buddies and being able to be authentically like hurt and authentically like uh, just willing to call out those things and say, Hey, that's not, that's not cool. We can't use that term. Or I see what you're trying to say, but we shouldn't do that. It's it's all these small things, which are really the big things of how we, we actually change. 
I know it was tough for you, Neil, to pick five of your favorite episodes. I think you started with a list of 15 or 20 (laughs) from your catalog of 200, but I appreciate the effort you've gone into to picking some really good episodes that can help us. But I've got one other tough request for you. One of the things that you do, I know, is you help your customers, your clients figure out what it means to achieve a level five digital workplace. So as you think back to your catalog of 200 episodes, interviews that you've done, what are just a handful of tips that you think starting places that you would recommend that would have the biggest impact on having a great work experience? Yeah, well, I'm glad you mentioned like the five levels thing, because that was something I I totally like stole and adapted from Matt Mullenweg, who's the CEO of Automatic. He developed this initial framework about five levels of, of distributed work, and I adapted that to a digital workplace. Highly recommend his podcast that he did with Sam Harris uh, a couple of years ago. But I would say like the, the first steps to get to that place of really that, that higher level, I think you can really start with some pretty simple stuff. I did a, a show recently with one CEO named Dan Jimenez, and we were talking about paid time off. So what Dan was doing was they had kind of done more as, an, as, as a way to attract talent, but it instituted this like unlimited paid time off policy. So it's take as much time as you want versus you know the typical model we see where when you start with the company, you get two weeks. And then if you're there for 20 years, we'll give you three weeks type thing. So recognizing that that model is probably broken. So going to an unlimited time off was like their next step. Say like, we don't care. Takes as much time. We're not going to track it and go on. Well, they actually found that that wasn't the, the permanent solution, but actually people weren't taking time off. So they actually went back to tracking when people took vacation, but in the sense of trying to improve well-being. They switched it to more seasonal saying, okay, you get everyone's going to take off the same week in, in the winter, but pick some week in the summer, some week in the spring based on where they were at. So again, it's, it's one of these things where when you step back and you say, okay, why did we do this? What's the point? And be willing to iterate a lot because that level five is what we say is when you're experimenting with this stuff and really trying to figure out what's a really human focused way to do this well. So picking some of those small things, how do you do meetings better? If you just start with having better meetings, you're going to have a great company. If you just pick onboarding, like how can you really make remote or hybrid onboarding as best as it can be? You start there with any of these things. You start with one place and it's going to affect everything else and give you a good launching pad for everything else you're going to do. You know, what I liked about that interview you did with uh, Dan Jimenez was that they never declared victory in their paid time off plan. They continually surveyed employees. They looked at the results. They were ready to make changes. They were flexible and ready to adapt. I mean, I think that is a quality that is super important in a successful modern workplace. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, no one's going to get this right in the next year or two. Like it's going to take time. If if you're thinking about hybrid work, you are a pioneer because there is no model to follow. Like you're going to figure it out. You're going to screw up. But if you treat it as like policy, like, hey, this is our hybrid work policy forever, then yeah, it's going to tick people off as it comes through. But if you say, look, we value your flexibility. We're going to try this for six months and see how it goes. That gives people a little bit more flexibility to say, give feedback and say, this is what I liked. Here's what I can change. And when employees and team members realize that they have agency in that, they have voice in that, and that people will listen and actually make changes, then that's a great place to to work. And people really enjoy that. Well, Neil, I've had a blast both preparing for this podcast and listening to you here as well. You've shared some interesting insights. I mean, I've gained some insights about my own work experience. 
And I've also discovered some topics that I think I'd like to go back and dig into more deeply. I'm sure our listeners probably want to do the same thing to dig in a little bit more deeply. Where can our listeners go to learn more about what you do, Neil? Yeah, well, first, Weston, thanks. I really do believe like no one has ever like prepared this much for uh, an interview with me specifically. And I really, really appreciate that and the work you put into that. Uh, everything for us is at thedigitalworkplace.com. So you can check out our articles and episodes uh, are all there. And we also have a new tool that we just released, uh, an assessment tool to help people figure out where they are in that five levels as it goes through. So I highly recommend just check that out and, and see what you learn from that. Excellent. I will include that in the show summary. Neil, thank you again for sharing some time with me today. You've been listening to Neil Miller, the creator and host of two fabulous podcasts, The Digital Workplace, and prior to that, Work Minus. Check them out on your favorite podcasting platform. I hope that the insights we've extracted from the best of Neil's podcast will be helpful as you continue to plan and evolve your digital workplace. This is the Digital Workplace Deep Dive. I'm your host, Weston Morris. Thank you for listening.